Let's get into it. Hello, hello. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI that's going to keep track of everything and keep me in line. Maybe make us do the show on time. I'm already late. It's not the AI's fault. Want to introduce yourself? Good evening, hometown citizens. Hey, so today is Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 170 for June 19th, 2023. Amazon denies paternity and more news. Let's get into the news. So the very first article. <laughs> ah, you're going to love this. Then the Late Night Geeks channel. Amazon insists that striking delivery drivers don't really belong to them. That's right. Amazon delivery drivers are not their kids. They have no responsibility. I'm going for smokes. Catch you later. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on Thursday, Motherboard reported that Amazon delivery drivers in Palmdale, California, have gone on strike for the first time for the company. The drivers who unionized with the Teamsters in April and were recognized by Amazon delivery service partners, uh, DSP battle-tested strategies in May, are demanding better pay and improved safety conditions. You know, nobody really likes that. No, nobody wants to be safe, uh, like not being able to bake cookies on their dash or whatever. Or I be know an ongoing, UPS, but it's similar. <laughs> or be an ongoing concern or, you know, any of that right. kind of stuff. So essentially, I, I, I wish I was kidding. I was just talking about this um, where people were telling me, well, people who don't want to get paid X should go find something else to do. <laughs> all right. Um, because there's so much opportunity out there. I guess we're supposed to all just bend the knee and lick boots and say, thank you, kind sir, for the opportunity you're about to bestow upon me as barely eking by as an adult. Um, but what are we to do, right? We are mere chattel um well you unionize and you realize that safety in numbers actually mean something so this is from the verge they gather information from other sources and then uh, we end up talking about it um and uh earlier sorry if you uh got a false start uh notice there was a, a glitch in the matrix that i had to remedy real quick but this article's over at The Verge, and it's by Wes Davis. 84 delivery drivers and dispatchers say that they're holding Amazon accountable for our safety on the job. Yeah, we've had this conversation before to some degree, and it comes down to you are an employee of an organization if they tell you what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, you're an employee. Um, you know, for instance, if I contract a programmer and say, Hey, um, this is what I'd like to have done. And they say I'm game. And then 
I say, well, you have to work between these hours using this equipment and this is how I want you to do it. They're my employee. But if I say to this contractor, you have carte blanche to do it however you need to do it to get it done within a time frame that we have agreed to, not that I've dictated, but we've agreed to, and you can do it whenever and wherever and however you want to do it, as long as it is functional and, you know, not a security issue, then they're a contractor. It's usually that simple, but says uh, Amazon, which uses contractor labor for the majority of its fleet, exercises a lot of control over these people it doesn't technically employ. Getting beyond the fact that they wear Amazon clothes and usually drive delivery trucks wrapped in Amazon artwork, the company has tightly controlled what its drivers are allowed to look like and post online, exercises control over the drivers can return if conditions are unsafe, and forces drivers to accept AI surveillance to be hired. You know, that level of control was a big part of the unfair labor charges the union filed with the NLRB in early May, calling out an Amazon practice of helping individuals start delivery logistics companies that are often exclusively contracted with Amazon. Yeah, proxy employees, essentially. I wonder if they actually use that term in this, but I've never heard anybody say it. Anyway, I think this is going to blow up. It's going to get bigger than this one organization. Um, but here's a quote from the document. Although these drivers wear Amazon uniforms, drive Amazon trucks, identify themselves as Amazon employees, are continuously monitored and surveilled by Amazon managers and receive their work assignments from Amazon, Amazon has attempted to legally separate itself from the employees through a sham DSP structure, delivery service partner structure. Under this DSP structure, Amazon finds individuals often with little to no experience running businesses and purports to help those individuals quote unquote start businesses all while selling them a false fantasy. Yeah, your employees. <laughs> so I, I suspect that the NLRB is going to find in favor of these people and it's going to um, get settled out of court as a broader um, effect. They're basically going to make fundamental changes before everybody else gets a bite at the apple bigger than these initial strikers. Um, but I guess we'll see. I, I, I'm astonished that it would get to this point. Um, considering how fast messages and, um, <coughs> pardon me, aggregation of people can take place online. The moment that word started getting out, that this was coming, I'm surprised that it's this small and then Amazon didn't do something proactively. Well, they did reach out to the media asking them to change the headline because it included the term Amazon drivers. <laughs> They're not our drivers. I They're thought that made it worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're aware of something, but uh, apparently they're not aware that these are employees. <laughs> well, now for some reason, I think that deliveries into hometown are going to be decidedly worse from Amazon because I'm making a snarky comment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
We'll have to see how that turns out. You know, this is the same program, I believe, that when it was started, the information about it was on Amazon's website. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, I mean, it may have been elsewhere also, but it even looked from the get-go like it was direct from Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing that I can think of is that they know exactly what they're doing and they're hoping that people would just not really wonder, are these people employees? Um, if you're wearing the uniform, if you're telling people that you are, if you've been told that you have to wear the uniform and tell people that you are, then you are employees. You're not contractors. Um, I've actually had this conversation with people that work um, what do you call it? Like snack goods routes, um, oh, routes, yeah. like um, potato chips. Vending. Yeah, there you go. So like food vendors, um, when they go into shops, uh, businesses, uh, grocery stores, etc., they don't dress like the organizations that they are stocking because they are subs. They own a route. They don't drive the vehicle that says, you know, blazoned across it, whatever, Frito-Lay or whatever it might be. Um, they dress in casual clothes. And if you walk up to them and say, hey, do you work for this company? They go, no, I'm a, I own a route. And I've had these conversations because I've run across both sides of this. People who are employees of it. And as a matter of fact, yesterday is when I had a conversation like this. Um, and, uh, they said, well, we get benefits and I don't have to worry about all of the paperwork. I'm an employee, etc. They give me a car, they give me clothes, they give me my route, etc. Um, and, uh, so I'm like, you're not a contractor. And they're like, nope, I'm an employee of dot, dot, dot. So there's no, it's disambiguated, you know, this is how it is. Right. And do you know, and I'm, I'm sorry, that might be a merchandiser depending on what exactly they're doing, but mm -hmm. do you know which company recently was told that they'd misclassify? I mean, this has happened to more than one company, um, but they misclassified workers as not being employees. Mm, Uber. Amazon. Oh. In oh, May. yeah. When? Today? In May oh, of in 2023. May. Yeah. And in That's fact, this? I think we at least if we didn't feature it, it came through Amazon, but it yeah. was in uh, Wisconsin. But it's just interesting taking this approach in light of their recent results. Yeah. Everything old is, well, everything new is newer because this was <laughs> right. just a month ago. Uh, well, let's go on to the next. Uh, in the uh, saga of uh, mysterious powders being sent around the country, letters containing mysterious powders sent to Trump, Supreme Court jo uh, Justice Thomas, and various others now. But I'm not sure if there is a number associated with this article just yet, but let's go over to the actual source. Um, I'm not quite sure why that is the graphic, but okay. Um, everybody has to be concerned, said Kansas State Senator Molly Baumgartner. Mysterious powder letters sent to Kansas Republicans, Trump, Supreme Court Justice Thomas. 
Uh, the article, by the way, is by Bill Hutchinson and Aaron Katursky. I'm not sure what this graphic has to do with it, but okay. Um, a series of threatening letters containing a mysterious white powder is raising concerns that Republican lawmakers in Kansas and across the nation who receive them are being targeted by someone uh, cryptically calling themselves your secret despair, according to authorities and recipients of the letters. Well, I don't know what to say. Um, it sucks that somebody is going to this extent to voice their displeasure. Um, and they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if this is somebody who's disgruntled about something, this is not the way to solve it. Right. So I I, I would assume that we're approaching somewhere to the tune of 100 oh. letters. Scroll up. Yeah. Um, it was about 100. Yeah, so far. Since well, right, and about every day they seem to announce more. Yeah, the bulk of them was on Friday to Saturday, and then we've jumped um, from 90 yesterday to 100 today, and I'm sure that it'll continue. Um, I'm, I hope that they're being uh, stopped, and I wish that they would actually disclose what they are, but I think the other side of that is the fear of these letters in the system, even if they are if they are harmful, then it'll shut down the USPS. And if they're not harmful, then it's uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt will still hobble the USPS and put everybody in the United States in panic and everybody starts pointing at everybody. Well, I don't know about everybody pointing at everybody, but anyway, um, people will start pointing fingers Right. It says so. that the art, the um, letters have been harmless, but that doesn't mean that all of them are. So um, right. we also don't know if they're all coming from one source because there could be copycats at some point. Exactly. Um, hopefully, you know, the FBI and other uh, investigatory bodies are reviewing the content and trying to shut all of this down. So nobody gets harmed so let's let's move on oh you know what before i go too far into the show let me th start throwing this into the chat um these are the articles that are also in the election right now so that you can vote hello toll how are you nice to see you very good to see you um you're catching the very beginning of the show so thanks for stopping on by um so these two articles are the ones that we've just uh, discussed and you can go and check those out as you see fit. Um, and as usual, we have the daily election and past elections. You can go and visit them by going to hometown.com elections. That will be the daily election. Um, and then uh, past elections is actually hometown.com past dash elections. Might change that in the future to just say past elections, make it easier. Anyway, um, check those out if you see fit. And the way that it works is we look at these elections over time. Um, and depending on what shows up in our news and what we recall from the elections, we actually um, aggregate that into the news um, for that night. 
but there's no guarantee that we'll pick something. It just lets us know what's going on in people's heads as to what their interest is um, within the confines of hometown since we have so many news sources. So let's, uh, let's hustle on to the next article. So this next article is in Smack Talk. Hackers threatened to leak stolen data if Reddit doesn't reverse API changes. And uh, spoiler alert, they're not going to. Um, there's an IPO pending. They want profitability. They want to be able to, I don't know, do a, I don't know. What would you call it? Maybe like a budget Elon Musk or something like that. Hardline demand x y and z compensation and if the people don't submit then they're out and all of the consumers who used to use all of these third-party apps basically have to just use this inferior product that they purchased from another developer a long time ago and really doesn't meet the needs of everybody um so these third parties are no longer going to be benefiting from all of the community members, right? Except for the dynamic that Reddit is entirely powered by the very people that are being snubbed right now. Yet, Well, that's what doesn't make sense here, right? I mean, is this an effort from an insider? If so, they're harming their own. And I don't think it's from an insider because of what else they're demanding. Yeah, they want money. Yeah. So, but... Uh, and I'm not even talking about this when I'm referring to the CEO making the demands and these people saying they want $4.5 million. Um, just so uh, I do this with every single article, I give credit where credit is due. We don't aggregate the full article, so it's pretty typical that we show the um, actual article and, and refer you over to it. Um, but... We also talk about it a little bit. So the Chance Miller over at 9to5Mac put this article together. And apparently what went down is somebody has stolen some uh, content from Reddit. Um, it's a, a ransomware group called Black Cat. They want $4.5 million. They have 80 gigabytes, which is really a drop in the bucket. But it really depends on what that content is. Um, what's kind of damaging to everything is that <laughs> this is a breach that's being disclosed while they're ramping up for an IPO while they are snubbing third-party apps and thumbing their nose at millions of users who use like Reddit is fun and Apollo and others um, and and leaning hard into it basically saying that they're nursing from the teat that is Reddit and again, I just want to make it abundantly clear. Reddit exists because of its user base. So make it affordable for third-party apps to engage so that they actually engage through those apps and build more content and submit articles and stay engaged and, and use the Reddit brand. Evolve your API so that you're getting better uh, telemetry from it so that you can say to your investors, look, this is... This is our ecosystem and it includes third-party apps that provide us with massive amounts of intelligence and reach. Make 
the API so that they have to use maybe advertising channels within the API. If you're going to use our content, then our ads are embedded in your app, that kind of a thing. You can have your own, but you have to use ours as well. Some happy medium, but then, but what they're doing is they're crushing the soul of these third-party apps. And again, just want to say one more time before we pretty much move on to the next article. Reddit exists because the users submit content and all of this kind of grousing about AP, uh, AI and all of that kind of stuff, artificial intelligence learning from the content in Reddit. Reddit used to post fake users and fake content replies to users on Reddit when it first started, and they readily admit this. They faked it till they made it and they made it because dig imploded. If Dig would have been smart and not done this stupid hustle that they did, um, collapsing their business and then selling it for a chicken scratch, they would be the one that's crushing Reddit right now because everybody loved Dig and hated Reddit. But then the Dig flood took place and Reddit was, I guess, the Taco Bell of fast food wars. Anyway. So what do you think? I mean, you, the AI doesn't even use Reddit. Um, it might be an accident, like they lost a bet and they might stumble into Reddit by accident. But what do you think about this? Do you think that they're going to get $4.5 million? And do you think that the Reddit CEO is going to back down on the API? I don't think the CEO is going to back down on the API. And I don't think they're going to get the $4.5 million. I think there's too much money behind Reddit that they're not going to cave to this. And I don't think Reddit is concerned about, I mean, they were concerned about, of course, um, the money and, and things along those lines, but they're not concerned about things like the moderators leaving. Yeah. They just don't I, have the same priorities as the users do. And I said this in the other um, news article about this. What they're going to end up doing is unlocking all of the closed Reddit subreddits and then removing forcefully the mods. And then there's going to be somebody there that just um, thanks their lucky stars that they're the one that becomes the next moderator for X, Y, and Z subreddit, whatever it might be. And there's close to somewhere between now three and 10,000 subreddits that are shut down. Many of them are coming back online because they've been told if you don't come back online, we're going to remove you. And so they all just go, oh, okay, 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 okay. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. We didn't mean to raise our voice at you, dad. Um, we'll, we'll go mow the lawn for free, for free. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't take the keys. Ah, you want to move on to the next article? That sounds good. So this next article is over in hometown daily. That's the show, but it's also a channel at hometown.com. Uh, scientists link cosmic radiation to earthquakes for the first time. I found this one really interesting. So I wanted to include it in today's show. Despite the exciting discovery, scientists remain puzzled as to how they can use the information to pinpoint forthcoming earthquakes. It's a, a Newsweek article uh, by Robin White. And um, I'm not sure 
Okay, so normally the article has some video that's maybe on its tertiary aligned with whatever the topic is, but it's this is the seven deadliest earthquakes in history and has really nothing to do with this. Um, but anyway, you can go over and watch this uh, video. Let me throw this into chat. Did I throw the other one in there? Yeah, I did. Okay, so you can actually follow that. Um, so the Credo project initiated in 2016 by the Institute of Nuclear Physics of the Polish Academy of Sciences in Krakow, Poland, um, is working to analyze how earthquakes can be predicted by measuring cosmic radiation. As far as I understand it, cosmic radiation penetrates the earth and I'm not sure how they actually pick it all up, but it says a new study from the project found a strong connection between cosmic radiation and earthquakes, although not in a way that anyone expected. So I'm really curious. The most intriguing outcome of the study is that we see a connection between the two uh, seemingly disconnected science realms, cosmic rays and seismicity. Uh, homo homolu or sorry, homola um, said they're uh, a doctor and the coordinator of Credo and the first author of the article describing the discovery in the Journal of Atmospheric and Solar Terrestrial Physics. And they had a conversation uh, with Newsweek. This is probably the most in-depth Newsweek article that we've <laughs> had a conversation I agree. about. I mean, this more looks more like a fizz.org or something. Yeah. And I'm surprised that it's not in fizz.org, but... Um, Maybe it is, and we just kind of scanned over it. Um, or they're doing a deeper dive in it because they usually have some more context um, and more scientific uh, information. So when Credo scientists analyzed cosmic radiation uh, data from the Neutron Monitor Database project collected over the last 50 years, and the Pierre Auger Observatory collected since 2005, a a clear correlation was found between earthquakes of magnitude four or larger and the intensity of secondary cosmic radiation. Pretty amazing. Um, how, uh, so as you might know, correlation isn't causation, so they don't necessarily know how it's connected. They just know that it's connected in a data sense. It could be complete coincidence that the two align but when you have years and years and years of evidence suggesting that when one is high, the other is high, then it probably will lead to a deeper um, research effort into it. Um, it would be fascinating if cosmic rays are the cause of large earthquakes because of some planetary wide um, increase in energy in a, in a fault line. I mean, that would be amazing. Like yeah. a wave going underneath ice. You know, it cracks the ice all that distance. You know, ice road truckers fame. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be amazing if that's how it is. Um, We'll keep an eye on this and see if there's more that come out of it. Um, but we always encourage you to go over and read the articles and then come back the next day and, and say, Hey, you know, you all missed this, or I did a deeper dive and found this. Um, it would be great to have a conversation about this. Um, did you find anything or. 
No, I don't have yeah. anything to add on this one. I hadn't. Um, well, I mean, obviously, this is the first study, but uh, mm. this was news to me. Okay. This is pretty cool stuff. Okay, let's go on. Here's our first weird news for the night. <laughs> this is in hometown daily. Um, a vegan landlord in New York City has been banning tenants from cooking meat since 2007, sparking a discussion about quirky landlord requirements. Now, first of all, do you think anybody would have gotten away with this outside of a city like New York City, where <laughs> it's impossible to find an apartment, you've got rent control? Yeah. 2007. Are, um, are vegans or vegetarians, for that matter, are is um or meat eater is anybody is food a uh oh toll says absolutely san francisco yeah it's yes, another one i would i would agree that one could probably uh <laughs> i think any also... large population would <laughs> yes. be able to hide something like this within it but are meat eaters a protected class i mean should we do some legal research and find out I don't think I don't think meat eaters are. I don't are. think they are, and I don't think vegetarians are a protected class or vegans either. Um, is this a violation of constitutional rights? You don't think that carnivores have rights, Toll? I don't know. Ooh, yeah. I think this is a conversation that we're going to have to have um, periodically. Let, let's see. <sighs> Does a vegan landlord trump somebody's ability to eat? Huh. A vegan landlord required tenants to not cook meat in a Brooklyn apartment. Although an unusual ask, it's not illegal, an expert told the New York Times. One person familiar with the situation told Insider that tenants had not been bothered by the rule in the past. So let's go over to Business Insider. I love Business Insider. If you're not familiar with Business Insider here, let me throw the link. Um, since all roads go through um, Ohmtown, um, that will that link right there will connect you to Ohmtown, and then you can click on that little visit the source link down there, and that'll take you to where we got this article from. Um, but in the process, go over, sign up, become a citizen and affords you the ability to create a, uh, remember and ignore list. It'll appear here after you log in and you can swipe. It's really neat. I'll, I'll, I'll show you, um, yeah, wait till the end. I'll show you at the end of this. So, um, the article though is by Hannah Getahoon over at businessinsider.com. Um, this is not the apartment complex, by the way. I, I think that this is a bridge. Sorry, it was funnier in my head. The AI is not. You know, even... it reminds me of the apartment uh, that was in LA, actually. Wait, what? The, the apartment, apartment in... that was above the bridge in oh, Los that... Angeles? <laughs> <laughs> that was a tiny little bridge ago. that was overlooking a flood control channel <laughs> <laughs> it's the same concept <laughs> talk about reaching <laughs> so the ai is describing a previous article where somebody is selling um basically what was built as a getaway cottage um, but it was sitting over the la aqueduct and so when you come out onto your 
I wouldn't even call it. It was a rooftop deck. You might be able to see debris <laughs> floating underneath yeah, your house. that was generous with the rooftop deck. <laughs> that was wild. Uh, Toll, Toll um, you had already given me permission um, the first time we met that it was okay to uh, say what you put into the chat. So it says it definitely goes against the pursuit of happiness. I agree. If I'm a meat eater, I, uh, I, I wouldn't... If I knew the rule before I went into getting this apartment, I, then uh, fine. If if I buy into it before I get it, but if they spring it on me after I sign a contract, I think it's a violation of the contract, and I'd be able to walk. Let's see. Well, and even if it's not for you, what if you have people like your family visiting or something? I mean, <laughs> that's gonna get real awkward if you're trying to have a barbecue or something with your family. Yeah, and I'm I'm like tall. Um, not being able to cook meat is a, a deal breaker, and the landlord is losing business because of their choices. But I also agree, um, in spirit, with what Toll says. Um, in that I think that a business, and this is uh, quoting Toll, I might butcher it a little there, Toll, but I think that a business um, renting something is uh, like a business and businesses should at least or have the ability to um, protect who they want so they should be able to serve anybody that they choose to serve and it shouldn't be a mandate right like well i'm a vegetarian or a vegan i will only serve vegetarians or vegans and any meat eater that comes in here i don't even want to serve them my vegan food or allow them to rent a space or whatever um totally buy into that um and but there are certain protected classes and i do uh, wholeheartedly buy into that um, i think everybody should be treated equal um it's just a, a bummer that there are people that push it the other way um, and I don't really agree with this. I don't, but it's not me, right? It's not me renting this place. Um, but I can tell you that if it were to pop up in the contract after I signed it, you know, um, like they say, Hey, you know, right here, it says other issues as assigned. Well, one of those things is you're not allowed to have a barbecue of any meat, uh, out on your patio. Then I would probably have to walk pretty damn quick but getting a place unless in New it York, was rent controlled <laughs> <laughs> yeah right yeah this is but they said that it's never been a problem so i'm really wondering why it popped up but i guess somebody had said it in a conversation so let's see what where it came from because it comes yeah, from I'm the thinking, new york times it I'm was thinking just it got mentioned somewhere and it just got some traction but i also think something like this is going to attract a certain type of tenant who is not going to object to it yeah exactly it, you'll find an audience that they that buys into it and they may buy into it to the point where they're willing to pay that premium price like toll said you know it, it it's it's really a deal breaker and they're losing business but i guess you know if if uh, you want to it's like anything else if you want that uh, oceanfront property you're willing to do whatever you have to do to get that oceanfront property not that this is but 
Joel also said, but definitely, like you said, it depends on the timing and when the landlord brings it up. Yeah. Right after you move in, the landlord walks in and says, oh, by the way, I'm vegan and you can't eat meat. Right after oh. you put your rent deposit down or something. I don't exactly. Know. Yeah. So it says here, according to the Times, which caught the uncommon ask on nextdoor.com before it was removed, the listing appeared with no meat slash fish in the building. <laughs> so it's a vegan building. So I guess my leather jacket is I was right going to say, does that extend to a tire? How about yeah. shoes? Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess... Like, do we do clothing inspections at the door? At the what lobby? if I'm a furry? Am I going to be allowed in the building? Never mind. A person familiar with the building situation confirmed this to Insider, explaining that the meat cooking ban was implemented because the smell of fish carried throughout the smaller building, which had okay, but not amazing ventilation. <laughs> Look at those prices for rent, says Tall. Yeah, check this out. I want to draw attention to it, too. I was going to bring it up, but um, look at this. Going for $4,500 to $5,750 a month. To rent. And I wonder what the square footage is. I'm sure it's a tiny space. So That's Tolgi more than says, somebody pays for a large house to own for their mortgage. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand how people make that kind of money. Um, in New York, but I guess they do. Multiple people, maybe. I, I, I don't know. It, it hurts me to see that number going to somebody else's mortgage instead of their own. So Toll says, uh, how about gummy bears and other gelatin products? Yep. That too. Um, exactly. Where do you draw the line? Yep. Um, that's like four times our mortgage oh, tall. it's yeah. vegan too so i mean do they allow things like eggs and dairy products yeah well it just i guess the stipulation was nothing more than meat and uh, fish instead of updating the air conditioning they basically ban everything and maybe that's what gave them the impetus to become a vegan <laughs> my air conditioning is really weak so i'm a vegan um, the person explained that the previous tenants who have been asked to follow the rule since 2007 were not particularly bothered by it. They don't care because they bring takeout. They don't cook themselves anyhow. And if it works for you, fine. If it doesn't, move on, the person told Insider. Ah, uh, yep. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't told, sound like you're a right. very inclusive building. Yeah, I don't think I can say that. <laughs> Although it's funny, Cole. Getting me in trouble, one sentence at a time. Hey, so uh, let's go on to the next article. So this article's over in Smack Talk. Um, from time to time, we talk about things like intellectual property, um, and this is definitely falling in that category. And um, there's there's a PSA. It's like a teachable moment here. Um, Apple wants to control every image of an apple, says Swiss fruit firm. Um, I don't that's not how this works. Um, but 
we do have to explain how it does work because a lot of people confuse what's going on with the reality of what's going on. Uh, Fruit Union Swiss says Apple is not just contesting its trademark Apple logo. It wants to get exclusive rights to all depictions of actual apples. I think they're being hyperbolic about it. So let's go over to uh, appleinsider.com and William Gallagher is the author of this article. Now, I, I don't go through the entire article verbatim. We kind of pick and choose what's going on here. <clears throat> um, Toll says that it sounds like Taco Tuesday discussion from a few weeks ago. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and wow, that's thanks, Toll, for letting callback. us know <laughs> that you saw that. That's awesome. Um, yeah, the... Uh, <laughs> Okay, so right out of the gate, just have to tell everybody that the reason why somebody would go after somebody for a trademark dispute is because they are required to defend their mark. It, and the problem is that it's very expensive to defend a mark and the person with the bigger bucks will nine times out of 10 win. Why? Because it's hard to defend that. You know, the onslaught is you have to prove um, in a reasonable amount of time that you use this mark and you use it in a unique way that can't be confused with the other person's mark. And it's hard not to admit that these two marks don't really look close together, but when you have a world famous mark like Apple, now mind you, it's a regional mark. This, um, fruit union swiss has been around for a hundred years in various ways but it's regional not everybody knows about fruit union swiss well and that but. works quite well and back in the old days when apple probably didn't have a global reach right so when fruit union swiss starts branching out into other areas other arenas expanding its scope and its sphere of influence, it'll stumble across some other mark and would be confused. Why? Because there is a uh, Apple logo that is product red associated and that Apple logo that's product red has the, dis the depiction of being product red, but it's also, let's say a red apple. And now you've got a change in the, the fruit union Swiss logo wherein instead of it using the old logo, it's updated it, it's modernized it. It happens to be really interestingly placed kind of bite out of this red apple. <laughs> and lo and behold, people might go, oh, so Apple is now doing something with uh, health or whatever, because that little plus sign is symbolic of the you know, medical industry or whatever. Um, well, no, that's not how it works. Um, there's an older logo of the fruit union Swiss, uh, organization that has that little plus symbol in the top left corner of a, what looks like really a giant cherry, um, not really an apple, but Hey, it's a hundred year old logo or so. They had the same logo up until 2011 and then they changed it. And then apparently they changed it again in 2017 um, to this one up here. And this one is to me dangerously close to Apple 
except that it's in an entirely different um, sphere. It's a different sector. It's a different code. Um, Toll says, so New York City can't be called the Big Apple anymore. Hey, isn't it Ohio State that uses the Ohio State? So now it can't be the Big Apple. It's just Big Apple. And now it can't be Big Apple because Apple owns Apple. So it's just called Big. New York City is now just called Big. (laughs) And, you know, true to form, New York City is big. You have to admit it's it's pretty darn big. Um, so in all honesty, I don't think that it should be a lawsuit. I don't think that it should be expensive. I don't think that it should be time consuming and you should be able to just look at it and go, look, okay, okay, okay. They're different. (laughs) Um, let's part ways, but we've made it clear that you can't branch into computer technology. You can't branch into music. You can't branch into this or that or whatever. Why? Because our brand is symbolic with these things and you're trading on our goodwill. And if you get a multitude of people coming out of the woodwork saying, wow, that logo is really like Apple, then it's confusingly similar and you have to take action. Then if you have a trademark, you have to defend it. Plain and simple. Otherwise, it's trademark dilution and you lose your mark then basically you're trading on nothing more than the goodwill that people buy into your mark. Um, And when other people use something that's confusingly similar to it, you don't have any grounds to sue them. So you have to litigate, you have to carve out a slice, a bite of the apple, so to speak, for that other company. But Apple is world famous, is dominant in many areas. This is basically the way of business and law. It's messy. It's unappealing to me. um, And I've interacted enough times in that area to realize that when you're spending millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, and then billions of dollars over the lifetime of your business, the law is supposed to be on your side because you're building up goodwill um, and it's expensive to recover that should your mark get diluted through non-prosecution of or defense of your marks um did i miss anything ai uh, there you know when i get on my soapbox i know that i sometimes kind of (laughs) no i don't think you did (laughs) yeah the ai tends to um chill and let me rant since I'm the mayor, I suppose. Soapbox fruit crate. Yeah. I would never say that I'm standing on an apple crate because then, Oh, now I've said it and toll. Why is it that you come charging in and one sentence lands me in court? Ah, one sentence now two, and I'm already in trouble. Oh, yeah, the AI is starting to do some research. Okay. Well, it says, uh, however, Wired notes that the World Intellectual Property Organization, or WIPO as it's usually called, says Apple has made a number of similar trademark requests worldwide. Yeah. Um, they're, they're trying to get worldwide recognition for their mark. Um, it's not unheard of. And the bigger the organization, usually they do it um, 
constantly and every time they create a new trademark for a product a service whatever or it deviates from what it already has been for decades they do it again so hello crazy cat lady welcome to the show um i believe this is the first time that i've um spoken with you so if it's okay um let me know that it's okay to repeat any statements that you might make in chat. And like Toll says, um, if there's something that you don't want me to repeat, go ahead and lead with, you probably shouldn't say this. (laughs) (laughs) Otherwise, Mayor Watt may just uh, (laughs) voice it and then realize halfway through. Gotcha. Thank you, crazy cat lady. Um, So uh, Toll is awesome. Um, actually gave me a warning shot across my bow to keep me out of trouble um, regarding a statement. And um, yeah, it's kind of like saying that I don't like the Beatles. It's going to land me in trouble with music lovers. Oh, but I just said it out loud. Oh, no. I said the quiet parts oh, out loud. No. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we just lost them as a sponsor to the state or whatever. Anyway, <laughs> this is this is bad. Well, welcome to the show, Crazy Cat Lady. Appreciate you being here. Um, and if there's anything that y'all want to talk about, just throw it in chat, and um, we we easily manage, you know, the uh, side discussion. So, no, I heard you say the beetle. Oh, yeah, it is a different. It's B E E T L E S, not B E A T L E S. It's a totally different beetles, so it's not really an issue. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for the follow too. Appreciate it. Okay. Hey, let's go on to the next article so I don't get too much in trouble. So I love these kind of articles Uh, into the jungle. An abandoned Sydney home was reclaimed by nature and is now set to go under the hammer with a $1.7 million starting price. And we're going to take a look inside. Um, before I do that, let me make sure that I threw do 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 do. No, I didn't throw that into um, the chat. So let me throw that last article into the chat and you can follow that. Um, but we're going to talk about this one now and you can follow that article. Um, so, OK, I've already seen this because I saw this um, as I was going through hometown. I use hometown all day, every day. I've been actually using it um, for close to 10 years. Um, But we'll talk about that at at the end of the show so that I can introduce you to a couple of things. But um, so I'm scrolling through this and I see this price and then I saw the building (laughs) and I'm like, okay, I thought New York prices were crazy. So check this out. This is over at businessinsider.com. Amanda Go is the author of this. And this is the picture of the property. Completely um, encased in green. Where is the property? <laughs> to say it has good bones would probably be an understatement. Because it's holding up a mass of nature. I just want to leave that there. <laughs> This is astonishing. 1.7. 
that's interesting too because I would think the alternative might be condemning the house. Um, yeah, just raising it and starting over. Crazy Cat Lady is crocheting and doing the end weaving for a crochet a crocheted blanket, which by the way, I love actually watching people crochet because when you're getting really good at it, man, all I hear is like the the process, right? You hear this rhythm and uh, uh, I actually heard people in, out in the real world, not in hometown. Um, and it was always awesome to see. And then every once in a while I'd hear cussing and that's because they dropped a stitch somewhere and have to go hunting it back. So like knitting. So uh, I know that they're different, but um, well, I'm glad that you are doing something productive and not just listening to me rant about stuff. Um, and uh, I dig, I really dig crocheted blankets, um, big blankets that you can throw on you. It keeps you warm. Um, so much better when they're made by somebody by hand. Um, they seem to be thicker and more robust than all of the stuff that you get off of a shelf. Um, and they become family heirlooms that you can hand down generation to generation. So um, encourage somebody in your family because this gets turned into a YouTube video and then turned into a, a, a podcast as well. And so there are people that hear this. Let me just tell y'all, encourage somebody in your family to pick up knitting and crocheting and all of these kind of skills that are uh, being lost to automation. When it goes to automation, then they start fine tuning it to the point where it gets thinner and, and, and cheaper and thrown out faster. And there's so much wastage there when really hand created stuff is much more robust. And when you love the person that did it, um, or care for them if they're an associate and they're giving you a gift like this, then you take care of it instead of just thinking, well, it's only 20 bucks. I can go get a new, another one. So, oh, and so Tull says that, um, she made one 20 years ago while they were dating Had a weighted blanket before they were cool. That's awesome. Wow. Ahead of your time. That's awesome. Last night it took 20 minutes for her to figure out where she missed a stitch. Oh, that. Ooh, wow. I don't even want to go there. That's opening up Pandora's box. By the way, hexagons are the best of gons. So you're making one. Crazy Cat Lady is making a uh, crocheted blanket that is uh, made up of hexagons. I love it. If you have an Et Etsy store, uh, throw it into chat. And if it does something, if it says something to you, I'm sorry. Um, I'll make it. I'll, I'll post it um, as well. So I'll buy one from you. <laughs> um, okay, so sorry, we got sidetracked. The uh, abandoned Sydney home was meant to be auctioned on June 24th with a price guide of 2.5 million Australian dollars. Instead, the, cop, the property, which is overrun with plants, has already found a buyer. The house was built in 1985 for an Australian artist and the listing agent um, was talking with insider directly. Apparently it's entirely encased in plants, 1.7 million us dollars. 
Now, do you think that's the price for the actual structure or are the plants worth that much? Yeah. Hey, crazy cat lady, you do. If you've got a skill, there are people out there that'll pay for it. But if you went to a craft fair then and you have to take it down for that, then yeah, I totally understand. Um, it says instead the dilapidated uh, property ended up finding a buyer one week before the planned sale. Do you think that they just bought that sight unseen? I mean, that is some serious, it's encased. No, I think that's somebody who maybe knew the property, but I don't know. Uh, I just clicked a video that I wish I didn't. So the owner left furniture behind in the house. It looks like it's just been sitting there. Um, it's very Spartan. So I guess they took whatever they wanted to. It has high roofs. The house dates back to 1985 and was originally constructed for a prominent Australian artist by the name of Peter Powditch, according to Whitney, I guess the listing agent. Toll says it just needs to be cleaned. Oh, good luck, crazy cat lady on the local fair entries. That's awesome. I wish I had a talent like that. Um, so Powdish died in February 2022. Um, and I guess that's what made this go up um, for sale. The eye-watering price tag. The house is not habitable in its current condition. Yeah, it looks like it's because it's been penetrated through the roof line of the house uh, with <laughs> roots. That is insane. Um, but it looks like it's one of those open floor plan kind of um, houses. Uh, what right, do they like call open that? Concept. You know where they have wings on either side, but the center is wide open. Oh man, I can't remember. There's a, a whole turn of phrase for that type of uh, dwelling. It's not open concept. No, I don't. I don't think so. Tulsa says I bet the, the acoustics are amazing in there. Yeah, you could probably hear a mouse fart from one side of the building. Is that not the? Okay, maybe I've said too I much. I don't think that's the real estate term. <laughs> oh really? Oh okay. So open concept, you can hear a mouse fart. The backyard doesn't look any better. Maybe it too just needs a little dusting. <laughs> There's all kinds of pot, the, the pots from potted plants, but the plants have decided to move into the house. <laughs> this is a, welcome to the jungle. <laughs> That's actually what I titled this segment. <laughs> I like this. Uh, I actually, let me see. What did I title this segment? Um, I think I titled welcome, uh, welcome to the jungle. We've got your house. <laughs> okay. I got to move on. Otherwise I'm going to be too silly. I'm starting to get a little punch drunk. So this article, the next article is over in hometown daily advertisers are returning to Twitter after Linda, Linda Yaccarino, who's the new CEO of Twitter calmed fears over content moderation. But now brands like Disney, Microsoft, and the NBA have ads placed next to neo-Nazi propaganda. So this, when I bring this kind of stuff into the show, it's not about the politics of it. It's about the simple, first off, it is and it isn't. Like, 
there shouldn't be neo-Nazi propaganda being displayed anywhere. We've already learned our lessons uh, from this, and everything old does not have to be new again. So let's not be on the wrong side of history again. Let's treat everybody with respect. Um, but on the business side of things, nobody wants to be tied next to neo-Nazi -pro propaganda except other neo-Nazis. So... Why well, would especially Disney... after you've paid an arm and a leg for advertising, it'd be bad enough if you weren't paying and you were associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it... where was it? I, I paid for a service and then got ads. And I was like, well, I asked somebody in administration why I was getting ads if I paid for the service and I, I stopped the service. Um, it was a newspaper and um, they said, well, you're paying for the service to get the newspaper, but the ads, your, your monthly payment just lowers the cost. So we have ads to keep that cost low instead of, you know, it's a dollar a week instead of $5 a week because you have ads and you are <laughs> uh, paying for the for access. Um, pretty, pretty amazing, but you know, you have to make ends meet, but 20 years ago when I was pitching to people how to move your newspaper online by augmenting your, uh, revenue by selling your printmaking products to people who can't afford to do the shift, they poo pooed that idea. Five years later, everybody's hell bent on getting online. And now because we have the ability to issue ads and enforce people to do quality uh, uh, services, we pay for those services, but don't throw ads on top of it. But Hulu has done it. Disney has done it. Netflix is doing it. Basically, we're paying a smaller fee and we're getting ads um, and we can't skip any of these ads. So we're basically, we've painted ourselves into a corner um, that we're probably not gonna be able to get out of without paying an exorbitant rate. So unless you're paying about $15 a month for a newspaper, you're gonna get ads within it anyways. Crazy Cat Lady um, says, uh, we're erasing history to start all over again. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Isn't that the truth? Man, <laughs> couldn't have said it better myself. So thanks. Um, it, it's, it's shocking that we've learned the worst lessons because everybody who used to be uh, kind of stuffed under a rock in society now has a venue because they're beyond societal reach and they're finding like-minded people to the point where they can actually place ads on a social media network to find additional like-minded people. And all that does is give strength to what is an oppressive mindset and sociopathic. So I'm shocked that anybody would allow neo-Nazi propaganda ads to be placed next to their brands. 
You know, you just hit on something that I wasn't even thinking about it. I was thinking about it from the standpoint of the other advertisers. But the obvious bigger issue here is the fact that the Nazi ads are even (laughs) uh, appearing and being submitted, etc. Yeah, exactly. Crazy Cat Lady says they didn't even teach um, their kids history till they went to a different school district for high school. Oh, God. That's shocking. That's actually shocking. Um, yeah, and I augment it with the real history of, um, well, depending on the time and date. There's a place and a time for everything. And so, you know, there is certain types of messaging in school. And then I have to uh, augment it, you know. And um, luckily, the, the people that I talk to about this kind of stuff um, I, I force them to do due diligence beyond whatever it is that they're being told, but it's basically trust, but verify. So augment it and find additional information. If you are, you know, surfing the net and you find one source that says this, and it's kind of wing nutty, find additional stuff. Um, and challenge your preconceived notions about things, but don't just swallow hook, line and sinker everything that is thrown at you online. And I give an example of Facebook where they manipulated the newsfeed of people to measure emotional contagion as it were. Um, and people who received negative news constantly responded negatively online. And the people who got positive news responded positive, positive, positively online but nobody knows what happened to these 700,000 people offline you know did did the people who got negative news run around after watching ads about neo-nazis on twitter or in this case it was facebook did they go out and like kick a cat and start screaming at people um who had rainbow uh clothing on Um, or did the happy people go out there and just hug random people and get punched in the nose because they were just giving out hugs willy nilly and not, you know, thinking straight. So we are manipulated by what we do online and what people want us to see, particularly the people that provide our medium for access. Um, and it's dangerous. So neo-Nazi propaganda, you know what it is when you see it. It should not be online. Tull says to contribute to the devil's advocate. Don't agree with the statement. Just making it an argument's sake. Where in the Second Amendment does it say neo-Nazis can't have a voice, but a group like BLM can? Well, it it all is kind of framed around hate. Um, And so if it's oppressive in nature and not seeking equity and inclusion and more open arms and if it's oppressive of a particular group of people, then I would say that it's probably, well, I don't, unless you're finding extremism in any, and, and this is where even BLM is, if there is extremists within the BLM organization, then they need to tone it down um, because not everybody is, you know, hateful of BLM. But the historical record of neo-Nazis and Nazis in general is that they wanted to eliminate an entire class and race of people. So multiple uh, 
uh, classes and races of people. So I would, I would kind of eschew that hate speech, but yeah, there are, there is a, a, a group of people within any organization that will be rather. Yeah. I don't think anybody should get a pass toll. Um, hateful speech or not, it should all be tempered down and society should clap back that no, you're, you should not be saying and doing these things because it's hateful and vindictive or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, but I agree. Nobody should get a pass for telling people that they should go and well, do horrible things. Um, that said, these brands are being tied to these other um organizations and i wish that they had I, I don't remember seeing any of their the ads next to other ads um but i was hoping that i would see like disney next to a neo-nazi ad just so that you can see the context of it um but this article goes uh, deep into it so i would uh, suggest going and checking out that um, article let me throw it into chat because I, I can't give any examples of the actual graphics. Um, it's a shame because I think this is one of these articles where the visual would go a long way. Obviously yeah. not so well for the podcast, but. Yeah. Um, and uh, crazy cat lady says that um, what hurt them was that BLM was saying that no lives matter till black lives matter. Um, and then the statement, all lives matter. Yeah, I agree. All lives matter. Um, and it doesn't diminish the fact that black lives matter when you make that statement. So I understand what you're saying. And toll says society should be clapping back. That's the statement. Um, yes, society should be. Um, and government is made up of people. So the government, responding um should be part and parcel the voice of the people um and that's not really how it is it's typically ultra rich politically connected etc um and it there isn't we aren't all equal um arguably we aren't all, all equal so yeah crazy cat lady i agree um we all bleed the same color green right that wait no <laughs> okay never mind maybe i've said too much um here let's go on to the next article so i don't know about you but i'm not really a big fan of Ticketmaster. um and this is kind of how the show works we're very holistic and and the gamut of our articles are quite expansive and uh, this one hit home because uh, Ticketmaster was the provider of tickets to a concert that was actually not them <laughs> when all of this started. Um, yet they were the, the ones that made it possible at the end of the day. Um, but they purchased tickets, then sold it to another party. The party sold it to another party that party sold it to me and it was fulfilled through Ticketmaster at a rate much higher than <laughs> what, 
what the artist was selling those tickets for. So it was, it was literally endorsed by Ticketmaster. Well, Ticketmaster issued more than 1 million Q numbers for Coldplay's Singapore concert. Rumbles of fury at the platform are rolling through Twitter as people say they got frozen out of purchases. Well, technology can only go so far. And when you have a million plus people queuing for Coldplay Singapore concert tickets, I can imagine. Now, it says Ticketmaster issued more than a million virtual queue numbers for Coldplay's Music of the Spheres concert in uh, Singapore. Many fans took to Twitter to express disappointment with technical issues on the ticketing platform. This is not the first time that Ticketmaster has fumbled the ticketing experience uh, for a big concert. No, not by any stretch. Oh, uh, the not art at all. This article is over at businessinsider.com. Amanda Goh and Cheryl Tay are the authors of this. Um, so I've been through this process with Ticketmaster kind of wetting the bed. Um, and I have to say that Ticketmaster doesn't impress me, but they are the ones who fund these massive venues by they purchase huge amounts of tickets and then they resell them on their platform. And then there are scalpers that buy these tickets and then they resell them and it just becomes a hot mess. Ticketmaster can't keep up with major players like uh, Taylor Swift and apparently Coldplay um, in Singapore. So what ends up happening is a few people eke by maybe not the right order of people either because the system can't if there's 15 people all struggling to get something at a certain nanosecond of time maybe the wrong person actually punches through the what amounts to a distributed denial of service attack and they get their ticket when somebody else who logically would have been the next in order gets it so i guess it's kind of survival of the fittest connection um let, let me see something here um Tull says and what people don't realize is that when you say a party buys from a party that buys from Ticketmaster, a lot of the times what happens is a bot buys from a bot that buys from another bot when and then sells to you and yeah actually um just to give a little more context, the midnight before or 11 p.m. the day before the concert, um, the person failed to deliver their tickets to me in any way. And through proxies, I got my tickets on the other side of the venue, almost the identical tickets, but on the opposite side, um, just as good. But for some strange reason, I believe that those were my original tickets, but they were lost in the shuffle and they were fulfilled through Ticketmaster. It was really interesting to see how this all played out. Um, and now I'm kind of like, uh, okay, I think I know how it all works. Um, and I, too, I do know how Ticketmaster works. They buy all of the tickets in the venue. Um, give a lump sum to the venue which pays the artist and everybody gets 
their cash like immediately instead of waiting for the churn of people slowly buying tickets from the venue and the venue having to have really robust ticketing solutions at each venue. Instead, they go to Ticketmaster and say, hey, we have 50,000 tickets. You can buy them all at X price, sell them for us. You have exclusivity because there isn't another ticketing solution out there that can handle the volume. They're the biggest dog um, barking on the block. So um, what does all of this about Coldplay really say about the state of ticketing? Well, we need more competition, um, but you're going to have to have very robust, reliable services. Uh, I mean, if there is any a time for something that is uh, closer to NFTs than this, uh, I really don't know. I mean, it's a perpetual ticket. It's locked in place. It's owned by the one person and then can be transferred to somebody else. As long as the, the system is robust, much more robust than just a fixed uh, database system that seems to crash under the onslaught. It, it needs to just be a quick transaction and delivered. Do you think this is going to be like the, um, the baby bells? Like, do you think we're going to move to something like that? Yeah. Breaking up, um, Ticketmaster into smaller organizational units so that they can provide the service within their region. I would not be, you know, um, upset by that i i mean it, i think it would be more prudent to have per state venues like a, an organization within the state breaking up ticketmaster so that it each state you know is the region that's what happened with the baby bells Tull says but governing agents oh well uh Tull said a couple of things that's why you provide you prefer buying tickets directly from the venue uh, but it's rare to do that anymore. Indeed, that's actually where I went first. Um, and they provided me with, this is 10 months ago. <laughs> um, they provided me a different venue to purchase it from. And ultimately I got the tickets, but like I said, you know, there were three levels of uh, middle person in there that got juice from squeezing me. Um, governing agencies are more worried about blocking the sale of Blizzard Activision to Microsoft then figuring this monopoly of a ticket sales out. Yeah, I think that there, I mean, there's different people that are working on each of these issues, um, but it's certainly one in the same, um, but for different reasons. Um, they're both monopolistic. And so um, I think that uh, both of them need to be addressed, but I am anti-merger and acquisition. Um, but that's a whole other show we can talk about. <laughs> I mean, th this is something that I'm really um, an opponent of. Create competition with Ticketmaster by making more Ticketmasters. Yep, essentially. But you're going to have to find, it's basically a, a billionaire's fever dream. They have to dedicate millions of dollars in infrastructure and have the political sway over venues to sell them mass amounts of tickets. 
you know, it needs to make economic sense and um, sense in the partnership sense. You have to go to each venue within a given region and say, hey, we can provide superior service and better profits. We'll pay you more for your tickets than Ticketmaster will, which means you have to have massive amounts of backing to fulfill that obligation. And I don't know about you, but I don't have that level of cash sitting in my couch. Um, but I, I would hero worship anybody that spins up something that goes after Ticketmaster because I think Ticketmaster sucks. I wish the but artists. I think the consumers are so stuck, right? Because they yes. want to go see the shows they want to see. The venues are kind of stuck without a real competitor to Ticketmaster. Yep. Um, it just kind of perpetuates it. Yep. Um, and this venue was 55,000 people and they had 1 million people in line in virtual queue. Hill says that they're pro business. And if the business agrees and the deal is mutually beneficial to them and doesn't create a pure monopoly in an industry, then you don't think that there should be much intervention. Yeah. Um, but like I described, I went to a completely different venue and I was funneled and fulfilled through Ticketmaster. Um, and it wasn't the only one based on my conversations. So um, at the concert, I was talking to people around me <laughs> and we were all in the same boat. Everything was fulfilled through Ticketmaster, even though they went through different sources um, to get their tickets. Their original source the four people that I spoke to about this, they all said that they had different venues um, that, and, and they both bought at least, or sorry, all four of them bought at least two tickets. So this is what I do when um, my plus one goes to the bathroom at a concert. <laughs> oh, I, I'm not paying attention to the music anymore because I'm here to enjoy it with my plus one. Anyway, um, let's hustle on to the next article. Um, the next article is over on the Hatch Ideas channel. AI could remove all human touch points in supply chains. And here's what that means. I love talking about this stuff. Um, so for at least a decade, I've been telling people that if what you do is step by step, then it can be automated. And if it can be automated, then somebody with the means can replace the human with the automation. And now you're out of a job, a career, a future, et cetera, um, in that field. You'll have to get retooled for some other position, do some other thing, et cetera. And as much as like, I'm a capitalist, I believe in the capital enterprise. Like I want to build something. I want to sell it for what I think it's worth and what the market might demand um, and accept as a price. You know, um, the, the whole economic process here, um, is brought to bear on whatever enterprise I spin up. Well, technology short circuits this and I can remove what used to be the most expensive expenditure in the enterprise, which is the human because the human gets sick, gets stoned, is stupid, 
gets mad at their significant other, gets drunk and crashes their car, whatever. They have a bad day and production slows down or stops or goes in reverse, whatever it is. But if I can take a series of steps that a human would take to produce X good, then all I have to do is put one bot down and it'll do it. I just have to do the equation because that's what it is. Step one, step two, step three equals whatever. Yeah, step four. You are an equation if what you do produces an output. As much as I don't like saying that to humans, that's what a business owner with the capital to expend on automation is thinking. If they are really deep end on the sociopathic side, if they really believe in the human condition and not pure profit, then they'll hire people and teach them a skill. You know, let's go back to crazy cat lady and say, I want to teach somebody how to crochet so that they make high quality blankets. Then I will teach that art because uh, it is a skill. And while automation can do a close approximation of creating a blanket, usually its quality is bound by somebody's profit motive and it'll get uh, either really expensive because they keep it at the same level as a human produced item um, or it'll have a greater margin be a little bit cheaper and they'll sell it mass production at lower quality well that's what's happening with ai ai is automating everything that a human can do um, Lucy Handley over at CNBC.com is talking about this generative AI and supply chains means that it'll be able to forecast demand, predict when trucks need maintenance and work out optimal shipping routes. According to analysts, removing the human from the logistics of shipping, it says AI may be able to totally or nearly remove all human touch points in the supply chain, including back office tasks. So all they have to do is say, this needs to get from point A from one coast to the other and AI can map out every single stop so that there's no deadhead load from a shipper going from one coast to the other. Whereas a human might misstep somewhere along that way and automation can remove the human from the long haul trucking mechanism process simply because a short haul to the edge of, let's say, a city in Los Angeles you transfer the container to an automated vehicle and it trucks its own butt all the way across the coast to Boston. And on the edge of Boston, it goes to a short haul trucker that can manage the complexity of inner city traffic and drop off the load. And all the while it can pull into cities, regions, hubs, and do the transition there so that it, when it's doing its deliveries, it's never doing a dead load. Um, so Tulsa has agreed. Well, and it's looking very attractive now with all of the port issues and the transportation yeah. issues. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no. Uh, so Tulsa has agreed uh, we should be automating what we can, uh, what can be automated and training people to be thinkers and innovators to find the next big thing. Case in point, we had a driver go from Connecticut to North Carolina to drop off a, a tree truck. Is that really? 
um, and pick up a chipper. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Uh, and pick up a, um, a chipper and bring it back uh, to mass. So, um, and in that particular case, that's, that's just on the edge of, I think, a long enough distance where you could actually automate the long haul. Um, but the, the short haul, I don't think that AI can navigate the complexity of inner city driving with an 18 wheeler, uh, or heavy load like that. Dispatcher gave them $200 cash and a hundred dollar gas card. And he had to pay an additional hundred dollars for fuel for the trip. Yeah, that's wild. What happens when power goes out or one robot breaks? Well, that's the thing that brings me to another part of this. Because the humans are going to be removed from this manual process, right? They don't need a human anymore. Humans are going to have to be retooled. And I think it's irrational that humans say about other humans, oh, we'll get another job. Don't worry, you'll get another job. I don't think that that's true all the time. Not every uh, human can retool for a technically sophisticated job or they don't want to do it. Um, but whatever the case may be, for whatever reason, us humans say, well, you know, we're going to lose 35% of the job market to automation and AI, but they'll find another gig. Go into your grocery store right now. Go into a big grocery store, whatever it might be. Odds on, there's two people at the front cash wrap monitoring 36 stations and it's all self-checkout. And you have to bring your own bags. <laughs> Why? Automation. It's not AI per se, but it's automation. AI is exacerbating this because AI can simulate the human condition. So I don't know if I said the I said the title of today's show is Amazon denies paternity. Yes. Now, what I haven't said, what, and I, I'm pretty upfront about this. What I say is that our thumbnails for the, the shows over on um, YouTube, they're generated by AI. I, I use Midjourney to generate them um, only because I think it's really funny that all I do is throw in the title of the show and it generates some simulation of the thumbnail as an, or I should say the show as a thumbnail, right? So what I did today, and I do this periodically anyway, um, but I hardly ever, I don't think I ever really use it. Anyway, um, I decided to throw in tonight's um articles and the little segment that i have for each for each article we talk about it but i have a segment title like um this one is um ai is coming for all our jobs um and so i threw all of these article titles article section uh, titles and the articles themselves into chat GPT and it spit out eight different titles. And I said, well, can you make one single humorous title? And it said, sure. AI stealing jobs, Reddit leaks threatened and Amazon denies paternity. Just another manic news day. Now I didn't think that that was all particularly entertaining, but I loved 
Amazon denies paternity. Because at the beginning of the show, we talked about the fact that Amazon is denying that the people who are really employees are Amazon employees. And I think that it's hilarious that an AI encapsulated that denial as paternity and that Amazon's no, I denying agree. it. Like, how did that connect that? <laughs> I love that. Um, we had another article in here about the fact that um, AI, when it's recursive and learning from itself, it actually devolves into gibberish garbage. But ChatGPT spits out gibberish garbage and BS pretty much regularly. Um, and we actually highlight that in the show often enough that people are being disbarred, I think, um, because they're using ChatGPT as, well, uh, a paralegal. <laughs> Bill says we have this dumb robot that drives around one of the grocery store and looks for spills. The kids are having fun. Um, parking shopping carts around it and trapping it. <laughs> that's awesome. I haven't seen anything <laughs> well, like that. That's, that's awesome. the thing. I haven't either, but I mean, people are figuring out ways around it, I guess is the way to put it. <laughs> Toll says, I would love to see a robotic wrecker hook up to a tractor and trailer like you had to do on Friday. <sighs> Those, that kind of a job, by the way, is one of many that I don't think that AI can do um, because there's a level of fine motor skills and and logic and observation, situational awareness that I don't think that robots can do um, quickly, efficient, uh, efficiently. Um, so I think a gig like that is um, safe for the next 20 years. Literally anything that could go wrong with that hookup did and you had to improvise a lot and get the job done. Yeah. And that's where I think that humans excel doing the things that um, a robot has to be programmed for. There's just no way that a robot can be programmed. Automation cannot do that kind of a gig. Um, just like what crazy cat lady is doing, um, doing crochet while it can do certain things, it cannot customize to the level that crazy cat lady can customize cro crocheting. Um, it's just not possible. Everything would have to be programmed and and that's it. That's what you do. Um, like I can produce custom shoes, um, but they're only customizable to a certain extent, which is the graphics. Um, and I've done that. So, you know, I and then the, the people who buy them choose the size and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's it's limited. And that's what all even generative AI, when it goes off the rails of what it's programmed already or what it's evolved its programming to output, it spews bullshit, nothing but lies, falsehoods. It's not even lies and falsehoods. It's just BS because AI doesn't understand that concept. It doesn't understand that it's lying. Um, it just spits out raw data and if you just gobble it up as an end user without verifying it you're done for you're just absolutely done for and you deserve it you should vet your data um and, and if you just like the other information um if you just kind of swallow it hook line and sinker you i don't like saying it but it's true you deserve what you get you need to trust but verify um, do the due diligence necessary so that you are standing on solid footing. 
Um, so Crazy Cat Lady says, what I like is uh, they have knitting machines, but no crochet machines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I one of these days, <laughs> they're just somebody's going to do some. They're going to wake up one day and just go, oh, I can corner the market by you know taking everybody else's creative efforts. Um, let's see. Toll says, I believe that. With enough AI machine learning training, a robotic unit could hook up to a truck. It's uh, very sequential. Just takes, like you said, more observation and thought than rudimentary program could do. Yeah, absolutely. Should have started. Should have started blogging when the whole COVID outbreak started. Found a ton of data that was contrary to what CDC and Fauci were putting out. Yeah, but science is showing exactly what went down. Um, and uh, I, I hazard to say anything. Um, only because the context of uh, COVID is pretty broad. Um, and so it can affect somebody right next door to you in the fundamental standard way, um, but not necessarily you or somebody else. And so in the in the bulk amount of information that's out there the standard was this is what should be done um and it it the way that science um did this process mitigated the harm that covid um, was doing on society i mean it wiped out nearly twice the state actually more than that right almost three times the state of uh wyoming uh, in population. So yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And not everybody uh, got it the same way. In fact, I had, I had th all three of the vaccines, um, sorry, doses, right. Of the same vaccine dot, dot, dot. Right. Um, and my doctor still said that he believes that I got uh, a light hit of COVID. Um, so um, because he said that my lung capacity had changed. So anyway, um, so all of this automation is coming for you and you, you kind of have to, and this is what I tell people when I'm consulting, when I'm talking to people, um, you have to choose where you're going to be in five to 10 years, because if you don't, there are people out there in every single field that are looking at automation, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and they're designing mechanisms to mitigate the human impact on things. Um, and so uh, it, it really behooves you to become aware of it. And you can actually take classes on AI and machine learning. Um, you can do fundamental research yourself and, and see for yourself what it's capable of. And I've had conversations with AI <laughs> creepy conversations where you think that it's a human being, but the moment that you start acting, uh, asking for factual information, it kind of wets the bed. So, um, AI definitely could remove many. The article says all human touch points in supply chains, but I think that it can remove many. Um, Phil says, absolutely. Um, 
folded research because I didn't believe the way that it was presented, the data, and uh, beginning the continual emphasis of believe in our science. Our science is the only science. Yeah. Um, and I don't buy into that ideology either. Uh, trust but verify. Toll is a wrecker. Always a good Truck practice. Driver. Yeah, always a, a, a good practice. Job is pretty secure for a while. Yeah, your job is secure because there's so many numbnuts out there that like to jam their vehicle up somewhere. <laughs> that is some job security. I didn't think about it. That yeah, way. And I, uh, yeah, and uh, I'm largely in the same boat, just not a wrecker. Um, so yeah, I'm constantly putting out fires. Um, Mayor is uh, just one title. So um, here, let's. Let's go on to the last two articles for tonight. And uh, we'll talk some shop here. This next article is something that uh, I would love to do as a side gig. Um, Hometown Daily is where it's housed, but it's actually sourced from Business Insider. A Texas real estate investor created a tiny home village where sites rent for $700. Its residents get a slice of the American dream and have formed a tight knit community. Let's take a look inside. Dun, dun, dun. I'm just going to go straight over to the source here. Alcina Lloyd is the author of this. Um, it's over at businessinsider.com. Um, sorry, just reading chat. Bill says I thought of the science was uh, to question the norms and ask why, then research and experiment to disprove it. It is. Yeah. The results of which is supposed to benefit society the most. Um, and it's always a perpetual question, but sometimes the results need to be put into action to mitigate harms to society or improve the life of society. Um, but then they keep on doing the research. So they keep on asking, is this the best way to do it? Should we do it a little bit differently? And they improve upon the solution, even though there might be a solution, it is the solution here. Then they improve upon it and they find the better solution. And it's, we stand on the shoulders of giants is the phrase. Um, and we constantly improve. Sometimes people, like I've said previously, wet the bed, um, fall on their face and have to start over. Uh, unfortunately, that's fundamental science right there. Uh, Crazy Cat Lady says um, that they've got three kids uh, with medical issues, spend a lot of days dealing with stuff for them. Yeah. I am familiar with uh, situations like that. Uh, and then Toll says, this is awesome. I could see it as a possible solution to homelessness in some regions and especially a solution to veteran homelessness. Tiny home villages are millennial trailer parks and uh, they love it. And I agree. I am a massive proponent, not just of tiny homes, but 3D printed tiny homes that use the um the ground right there to basically to make if you make everything flat in a given region you're basically skimming the soil off you save the top soil so that you can 
lay it down again and then you plant grass and whatever landscaping on it but underneath you basically skim all of that soil up um, grind it up throw it in a 3d printer and 3d print tiny homes um, and that way you're not chopping down trees you're not doing all kinds of other stuff because in many regions the weather conditions really we have this problem that uh, stick built homes get the roof pulled off of them and then the walls fall over that's what happens in tornado alley that's what happens in hurricanes that's what happens everywhere the roof gets lifted off regardless of the fact that you have hurricane straps or tornado reinforcement or whatever you want to do the roof gets ripped off the walls fall over so if you 3d print it it's basically either well it turns out to be cement and you're not gonna blow over a cement building that is a cement building from top to bottom um, and it's one contiguous piece it's not glued together cement prefab whatever um, which many warehouses are built slabs slices of prefab cement and then they're set up bolted to the ground strapped to each other and then you're supposed to survive that well the roof gets lift off the wind blows over the side and it all comes crumbling down like a house of cards it's not safe but a tiny home or a regular home full-size home that's 3d printed is one contiguous line of cement um, and if you use the natural resources in the area then you're not porting it from one side of the country to the other you're not doing all of this other machinations to make it happen it reduces the cost all you have to do is get the 3d printer out there this person is doing a whole bunch of tiny homes which are basically um 650 or so uh, square feet of house uh typically on wheels or it can be put on a trailer of some kind and ported somewhere else usually they can be hooked up to power and many a time it has uh it i should say it does not have a city plumbing um but sometimes it's possible to build that into something like a residential area like this could have um, conventional plumbing but at 700 bucks a month it's much more approachable depending on where it is 13 lots cost the renters um, 700 bucks a month they bring their own tiny homes one acre investment property into a tiny home village residents of the tight-knit community share common areas like garden fire pit laundry room although you can have your own laundry room even in your own tiny home in 2002 larry landtrip purchased a north texas farmhouse on an acre of land in lake dallas a small city of about 7,000 people located on the shores of Louisville lake landtrip a mom and pop real estate investor and founder of urban retro initially had no plans for the sprawling property beyond holding it as real estate investment let's see yeah, Tulsa it's interesting because i think the owner kind of got forced into this but it seems like a great use after all so explain that well because they couldn't develop the property in the conventional sense so they were kind of like what do i do with this and then um 
they thought about tiny homes and they went, oh, here's what I can do. Because there was something that had to be preserved on the property. I actually looked ahead at this one. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so Toll says most of the houses that they saw on tiny home living, um, the houses were solar power, the toilet was a composting toilet, and the water was either tank or well-fed. Yes, that's pretty typical for a tiny home. Um, I have seen models where you can plop them on a conventional pad and they have city water, power, um, sewer, um, high-speed internet, all of the regular stuff, um, but they're classified differently. And tiny homes are actually technically classified um, differently than standard real estate because they are, they're mobile homes. They're not considered conventional. You can't even get a conventional mortgage for them. Um, it's basically a, a loan. Um, so it says inspired by their design and affordability land trip had a Eureka moment. We could create a community for tiny homes on his Lake Dallas property without tearing down the farmhouse and disrupting the area's vegetation. Dun, dun, dun. Look at that. I mean, for me, it's really snug, but I guess if you're into that, then, um, you don't really have an issue. It's kind of like that vegan thing, you know? If you have no concerns, then um, awesome. But um, I like my space. <laughs> this actually looks really snug. Um, so they but I begin like it for um, housing us accessibility. Yeah. Um, and and this that's kind of a, a key ingredient here. I love the idea of opening up a large community with many of these tiny homes that are built so that people have a residence. Um, and Toll mentioned in here um, a solution for veteran homelessness, which I think is a complete shame. I mean, this should not be allowed, um, not to mention all of the other issues that are associated um, with veterans not getting continued reliable support. It, it seems like it's an afterthought, um, but this is a much longer, larger discussion. Um, but there should never be a homeless veteran for crying out loud. It's just ridiculous. Um, and, and a lot of that, there's so many issues associated with how that transpires, um, that it's, I, I can't really approach it, um, at this point. I'm, I'd be happy to talk about it more, but like, like there's a time and a place for everything. I don't know if this is it, but there isn't enough support services and we can get there, but certain things have to take place. And the people who should be caring about supporting our military during and after other time in the force um, should be supporting it but they think that it's a business enterprise and once their term is done they stop caring um and i think it's a shame um crazy cat lady says that uh, a lot of these vets are homeless because of paperwork issues yeah there's a multitude of reasons <laughs> um so, but VA um, services, it seems to be a cluster. 
just kind of summarize it there. Um, but maybe, you know, if more grants were facilitated for donating land, spinning up a 3d printer to print these permanent, um, mini estates, basically these little plots of land, quarter acre kind of a thing. Um, but people who have land don't want to give it up and the government who could government is the largest owner of property in the United States. They could donate large swaths of land for this process because there are always people going in and out of being uh, a veteran and transitioning from being in the military to being a civilian again, but still having the military mindset. These could be that transitionary locations where they have a place to live, to call home with people who have gone through this process and have support services there, but that's just not you're cut loose and you have to fend for yourself and the amount of paperwork that I've seen people having to do, um, even 25 years after retirement, um, it's astonishing. They have to justify their existence, even though it's all well-documented anyway. I'm sorry to get sidetracked, uh, but that's what they're talking about in this. And that's what we're talking about in chat. Um, Joel says it's inexcusable and we owe them more than what they're getting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. So, um, Landtrip said that the tiny home runners, uh, brought to the village range in the price, uh, from about 50,000 to $125,000. That's the tiny homes that they're bringing in. Um, so let's move on to the next and the last article for today. And, uh, I wanted to end, uh, with this game because, um, I kind of fell in love with its trailer and I saw that during, um, the various, um, reveals this last week. This is in the tabletop Knights channel branching path after seeing armored core six. I think I understand the appeal of gunpla or gunplay. Uh, now I've, this is pretty amazing. So you'll have to watch the video, but it's basically, um, you take on this bot, you take on the form of this bot, this robot. Um, it's basically armor. It says that being said, I'm not a armored core fan while I've played other games from, uh, that from software have produced outside of their now souls fair. Uh, they've never had the opportunity to play an armored core. So outside of understanding some of the franchise's basic facts, heading into the hands off appointment, they were a blank slate. Well, the processes that the, the way that you play this game, it's super fast. Um, I don't know if it's really bullet hell kind of a game, but the reaction time, you need really, uh, fast Twitch reflexes. You need to observe what's going on and react. Um, it's quite entertaining to watch. I don't know if I'd be good at playing this game, um, because it's hyperkinetic, it's hectic. Um, let me see. They don't even have a video. I really wish that they had a video in this, but, um, they don't. 
uh, so which this is a would real, not be your forever game. This would not be my forever game. Uh, James Galizio is the or Galizio is the author of this over at RPGsite.net. Um, they don't even have a link to this trailer. So you're going to have to, you know what? I don't know if I've been throwing any of these into chat for crying out loud. I feel like I've just, I'm the one that's fallen apart now. Let me throw all of these into the chat real quick. Um, I don't think that's the last one. Let me see. Let me scroll up. I think oh, it wow. was about number three. No, no, no. It's not that far back. Um, but let me throw all of those in there. Do, 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 do. I think um, this might be the last one. Uh, because that one's about the neo-Nazis. So <laughs> that's the phrase that I want to end on. Um, Tulsa's, so you don't have to be super twitchy. You can be a bullet sponge. Yeah, so it says here, whatever you end up deciding to do, combat itself looks incredible. And while I did not have the chance to get hands on with the game itself, talking with members of the press who did, the praise was unanimous for how the game supposedly felt to play. They'll have to wait uh, a few more months to be able to verify those claims, much like anyone else. But at least as of right now, it sounds like the game's controls and combat are in a very promising place. Um, Crazy Cat Lady wanted everybody to know that the blanket is 98% done. Just need to add the borders. Um, good luck. Good uh, job. So what I saw about this, um, this game, you, you take on the role of a Gundam. Um, Gunpla is, or Gunplay. I'm not sure how they pronounce it. Different people have pronounced it differently to me, but I think it's Gunpla. Um, the idea of this is that you are a Gundam and you're um, fighting your way through the levels. But the resolution is spectacular from what I've seen. And I'm really into that. I, I love playing games where um, it's they're highly detailed. The resolution is spectacular. And um, that's what I'm really into. That's why I'm going to be playing the hell out of Starfield, because I think that the game takes No Man's Sky and kind of uh, injects, it, injects it with nitrous oxide, man. It just it it takes it from zero to 60 in a nanosecond. And I, I want to play that game. And it's kind of like this in that there are the previous iterations um, of Armored Core were way older, lower resolution. Um, and um, I, I am just not into it, but this one seems like it'll be fun at least to watch. Um, I don't know if I will um, play it, um, but I love watching people excel at games like this, just like Souls games. It's great for other people, but I would be smashing the hell out of my studio if I was playing that game. Crazy, uh, sorry, Toll says, um, how much have you been watching the uh, Unreal Engine 5? Yeah, I'm all over it. Um, I love it. Uh, they were phenomenal for their time, but they uh, haven't aged well. Um, you're When you said uh, UE5 engine, right? You're talking about Unreal Engine, right? Um, 
I actually have everything loaded up. I'm trying, I haven't been able to dedicate enough time, but I want to do um, the real-time face um, tracking and uh, recreate me in VR space and in, um, in, in real space. Like instead of me streaming me, it will be my uh, synthetic me and then I can do more stuff with it. So yeah, Unreal Engine 5 is spectacular. So the, um, what was it called? What are they? What's the name of the thing? Um, MetaHuman. MetaHuman. So my camera um, is high resolution enough that I can sit here and it can track me and convert me into manipulating the wireframe of the MetaHuman and a high resolution V streamer. So it would look like me, except that I could do whatever I want with that um, synthetic marijuana. Yeah. Whereas everybody else is a, a, a cartoon, a simulacrum of them, right? It's a, it's not really them. It's just a cartoon um, animated, whatever. This would be ultra realistic marijuana, but still synthetic. I mean, I just love the idea of that. And that's what I wanted to do initially. Um, but I love being online and streaming. So that's why I'm here, by the way. Um, we are at the end of our show. And uh, what I normally do is I drag everybody back to Main Street. Um, and then we click on the little hometown name. It refreshes. And once you become a, a citizen of hometown, when you drop down this little menu right here, you actually get the ability to uh, remember and ignore uh, articles. And you do that by swiping. You just click on it and swipe left or right, and it will store them into two lists. And then you can go back and look at these lists. Um, click on the articles. It saves it so that if you're on mobile, then you can come back at a later time and look at what your favorites are for a given day. And you can go back, um, well, within four years. Um, and every day is broken out uh, within that time frame. I've actually removed um, much of the data. Uh, we started streaming, or I started streaming January 1st, 2022. Um, but it has two years prior to that uh, in data um, that's accessible at least. And <clears throat> we've got much more coming, um, but it's all in the works. There's six main categories, 50 channels, about 200 sources that feed into our news aggregation process. Um, and I use it every day um, for uh, everything that I do all day long. And now you can too, since we opened it up in uh, January 1st, when I started streaming, I opened it up to the public and um, we're going to keep on going from there. When you click on something and you're signed in, you can actually favorite it, it and it goes into a favorites category, which is separate from the remember and ignore lists. Um, and that favorites list, you can actually share with other people, uh, which is a neat feature so that you can actually um, let other people know what it is that you are uh, interested in. Whereas these two other lists, the remember and ignore list, those are private only to you. Um, nobody else can access them. 
So this is uh, what we do. <laughs> right on. So thanks, Toll and Crazy Cat Lady. Appreciate your time hanging out. If there's anybody else, um, you know, there's a few other people that are uh, lurking. So appreciate your time and hanging out with us. And feel free next time. We're going to be here tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. Um, with that said, I am Marwat. That, oh, wait, that is, I was looking at the wrong monitor. That is Ometown. And up there is the AI that keeps everything in check. You want to say goodnight, oh, great AI. Goodbye, Ometown citizens, and we'll see you tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern. Cheers. Wow, it's so late that my lights have turned off. I guess that's a signal that I'm going to turn into a pumpkin in about two minutes. See you tomorrow, everybody. Oh, look at that. Even that's broken. This is what happens when you try to do a reboot. Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye.